everything I had, in my mind I had surrendered everything I had. The idea of having kids, a wife, the day of, I was just ready to go into the Himalayas. I told my dad, he was like crying. This was a thing. <laughs> so when he said this, my heart was broken. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I'm here today with an inspiring young businessman, an entrepreneur. It's Sadja Fendel, and he is the founder of the Thought Dojo. Hello, Sadja. Nice to see you. Hi, Jeanette. It's good to be here. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Well, listen, you and I met quite recently, actually. We met through mm -hmm. uh, the Prince's Trust. Um, because mm -hmm. you've been supported by the Prince's Trust. I, you know, really interested in the charity as well. And when I heard you speak, I knew straight away I had to have you on Brave Ball Brilliant. And here we are. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> no, yeah. honestly, it's, it's my pleasure. And, um, you know, because I think your journey uh, on a personal basis is, is interesting. But I also mm -hmm. think, you know, from what you're doing from a business perspective as well, and, and the link to the Prince's Trust, there's a lot for us to chat about and to kind of explore, really. So anyone that's listening, that's, you know, starting a business, scaling a business, maybe thinking about what they want to do with their life as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think it's going to be hugely helpful and, and inspiring yeah. to listen to you. So thank you for that. But Saja, let, why don't we start off with you giving us a bit of backstory to you and, and kind of how you've ended up, you know, founding this fantastic business that you've got now. Yeah. I would say that it's interesting because really there's two parallel worlds that have brought me to where I am. Um, it's hard to merge the two together in one conversation. I'm going to try my best. So uh, originally, the I was brought up Christian, right? So I was, you know, singing church songs in school every single day. I was engulfed in, you know, God and God's presence and things like that. Um, inevitably questions that plagued my mind as when I was about six years old was how is there existence? How is there anything? What is the likelihood that there could be something that is like it, it was to me, it was just a baffling thing. I could, I used to love being in awe about it. Right. Um, and then I started watching, um, I was about nine or 10, as I mentioned before, I started watching uh, MTV because my sister would watch it. And there was this guy come on called Rob Deerdeck. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Rob Deerdeck is, Rob Deerdeck's a massive entrepreneur with, you know, uh, launched tons and tons of businesses and startups. Now owns his own investment company, helping others do the same. But primarily he was a skateboarder. And this TV show was him, intro was, uh, him skateboarding in his factory with, you know, backflipping into foam pits. And he was like, hi, I'm Rob Deerdeck and I'm an entrepreneur. And <laughs> I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I just knew I wanted to be whatever it was. <laughs> so it wasn't until I was about 14 where I thought I realized what it was. I didn't quite understand it, but I knew it was to do with business. Um, meanwhile, my mum had passed away. So my mum passed away when I was 10. This drew out an atheist in me. Um, Although I couldn't quite comprehend why I still felt her presence. I still felt like, well, the body's supposed to die. Death is meant to be the end of everything. Why am I still feeling this? So it took me on this kind of existential uh, quest that was synonymous with this like kind of um, agnostic, atheist, slash atheistic 
um, type of feeling. So I then grew up as a very angry teenager. Um, I was abusive. I was uh, I was I was a class clown. I looked happy on the outside, but I was seeking for attention. I was trying to fulfill myself through gratification through other people's um, respect. I guess I would get into fights. I was just uh, yeah. I wasn't a very uh, I guess you call it a very peaceful child. <laughs> so as time wore on, I got to about eighteen, seventeen actually, where I realized I need psychological help. Um. Bunch of other things happened along the way, but I'm going to skip those parts. Um, that was the stage for me where I realized that the conventional system that we have of uh, supporting and aiding mental health, especially in young people, it hasn't been built yet. It's not there yet as a society, and that's no of no fault of our own. We just have to go through a process of evolution, right? And we're not there yet. If it was there, I would have been referred or signposted to counseling back when mum had cancer, right? So anyway, synonymous to that was me realizing, hold on a minute, there's nothing in this world that can make me happy unless that thing is going to cause my misery. There is nothing in this world that I can find relationship cars, money, any type of career, any type of job, anything I find purpose in, I will be dependent on that thing. And sooner or later, whether I, whether it's through death or through the death of a loved one, I will suffer. And given what I'd already been through, that to me didn't sound pretty at all. <laughs> so that for me was the realization that I felt absolutely screwed at that point. Um, Obviously, then going through the conventional mental health paradigm, seeing the doctor taking antidepressants, getting on the waiting list, which is about 10 billion years, especially now. Um, I literally would think to myself, I'll be dead by then. There was this, this honestly, in this nonchalant apathy, I'll be dead by then. Like, this is just like, I was like, okay. So I, I said to myself, um, I remember saying this was sitting in my car. Um, parked on the side of a road. I I either I will either find out how to live without having to suffer or I'll just kill myself. It was that black and white. Um and little did I realize I, I had to do both. <laughs> the only option was two. So um I remembered uh Steve Jobs was a big inspiration of mine, obviously being an entrepreneur, being a creative being, creating something that, um, you know, changed the world. Um, I remember this thing that he said, it was the two things that changed my life was reading the book, Be Here Now, and taking LSD. So when I was in this moment of, of just complete despair, um, figuring out where do I start? Where do I go? What's the first thing that I should, you know, I, I had no idea about spirituality or um, mindfulness or I didn't even know what Buddhism was to me, but I didn't even know it, it was a thing. I knew about Hinduism, but I just thought it was, I don't know what I thought it was. I had no opinion. It was just, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and for some reason to me, Christianity was just not on the cards. <laughs> um <clears throat> So I went and did those two very things. I read the book, Be Here Now, and I took LSD. And through experiencing that, I clicked on to why 
Steve Jobs said to those were the two things that changed his life. Um, they were the two things that also changed my life, <laughs> along with a few others, but that was the crux. So in that moment, um, I realized that there are uh, pathways that your mind can open up to that aren't regularly there in our regular waking state. And in these moments, I would um, some of them would be traumatizing, I can't lie, but I would feel like I gained this insight as to the nature of my mind that I couldn't have access to when I was not on LSD. And likewise, in the book from Ram Das, who, if for those of you who don't know what this book is, it's um, uh, it, it's a book about a Harvard psychologist called Richard Alpert, who was one of the first people to start experimenting uh, the likes of LSD with um, Albert Hoffman, who was the inventor of LSD, accidentally creating it one day in a laboratory. Um, so these 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 um, Harvard psychologists were, you know, finding this new discovery, like astrologers finding a new planet, and um, they started experimenting with it. So his story is all about how that led him to his guru Maharaji. And um, anyway, this shocked me, and I realized, well, this is why Ramdas was trying LSD. This is what why he went on his spiritual journey, and it and it just opened up this world for me. So anyway. Long story short, I was meanwhile testing loads of businesses that I was doing. I had started, um, you know, photography businesses. I was buying and selling clothes. I was flipping trading cards. I was, these things always in me. None of them successful though. None of them inherently successful. But um, I realized that there's no, there was no sense of failure in that. There was no, there was nothing in my mind that was going, this failed. Oh no, what if I would fail? That wasn't there. It was more so... Thinking of entrepreneur, I was thinking, well, this guy's a millionaire. Entrepreneur looks like there's a lot of money. I'll just do, I'll just do what I can do. <laughs> Little did I realize these were the building blocks of me understanding how to trade, how to offer, how to how to be and trade in the world like that. Um. So what happened was then I was exploring with LSD until one day, I um, I was at the pinnacle of depression because for some reason it was making me worse. It was making me. Um, I would have this insight, I'd come back down and I would feel absolutely distraught and my anxiety would increase and my depression would get worse. And at this stage, I was um, taking copious amounts of other stuff and almost died. Miraculously, my ex, who was my girlfriend at the time, just came to my house while she was in work at 9.30 in the morning um, out of just pure, spontaneous insight, Right. Mm. how magical is that some parts of me think i did actually die and i woke up and i just woke up in the reality that <laughs> you know it, it where it carried on um so this is where that uh, a big event happened uh, a couple of weeks after where i went through a what you could call a psychological singularity um i experienced um all my possible realities. I don't know if any of you have seen the show or you, Jeanette, have seen the show. Um, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. No, I haven't. I haven't. It's a big theme right now, interestingly. Uh, multiverses and multiverse theory, quantum physics, quantum mechanics. It's a big theme right now. Even in Marvel, they started doing Marvel films with it. But anyway, I experienced every possible reality um, that I have ever experienced as this body mind every single one but all the worst versions um so anyway 
this was a two day experience and it was the most traumatic thing that could ever happen. But it's the thing that woke me up to the truth, which was happiness is the nature of our being. Happiness is our absolute fundamental nature. It's not a human experience. It's not a human experience in the sense that um, it's only for human beings. It's the nature of our experience, of all experience that can be possible, um, which then took me to finding a teacher myself who could help me understand that properly and grasp that, um, which is when I went on a travel uh, to all God knows where in Asia, um, eventually finding in an ashram one day, this guru I found, someone told me to travel to, um, he just told me to go home. He said, he said, do you know what guru means? I said, uh, uh, no, I guess. He said, guru means remover of darkness. He says, you are already light. Go home. I said, what? At this stage, I was, I was monk mode, ready to surrender everything I had. In my mind, I had surrendered everything I had. Um, the idea of having kids, a wife, the day of, I was just ready to go into the Himalayas. I told my dad, he was like crying. This was a thing. <laughs> so when he said this, my heart was broken. Um, and interestingly, Maharaji, the writer of the book, uh, not the writer, but the guru of the writer of the book of Ramdas, his, his guru, he'd met Maharaji. And for me, Maharaji had a very special place in my heart, as you can imagine, going through this reading his stories and understanding who he was. He, for me, I've got his picture up on my thing right there. Um, he's a very important figure in my life. And he said, I'd met Maharaji. And he said, Maharaji was like a mystic. He knew, he would just know things. It was just, yeah. So he would he would be able to do things that human beings couldn't do. And anyway, he had met him and he said to me, he said, you know, Maharaji came to me when I was young in my ashram. And... At this time, this this his name was um, Swami um, Yogeshwar Pananda. He said at the time uh, he was at this ashram and he was thinking about leaving. Um, I can't remember the details as to why, but he was going to move to another ashram to learn something else. He said Maharaji came up to him one day. He was just a, Maharaji wore a na he was naked, wears a blanket, just travels around everywhere. He said he just came up to him one day in his ashram and said. Um, he said to him, essentially along the lines of, don't go to the other ashram. And he was like, what do you, he was like, how do you, for one, how do you know? What, what are you talking about? He said, you will be the Swami of this ashram one day. He says, stay here where you are. And he said, he thought he was insane, but you can't not listen to Maharaji when he says a thing like that. So he said he stayed. And he said, in that moment, he said, I realized this message from Maharaji is my message to you. And that for me just blew my skull out of my skin. It just, yeah, it was fun. So that dropped every desire in me. I had nothing. I, it was just complete blankness. Um, went to the ashram again the next day. I met this, this guy. He said, have you seen this guy called Rupert Spira? I was like, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you should check him out. He's on YouTube. Anyway, this guy called uh, Rupert lives three hours away, three hours away from Oxford. He ended up becoming the the very man I was looking for. Didn't quite realize it at the time, but um, 
he disentangled all the uh, all the jargon, all the misunderstanding, all the convoluted conversation, and all the um, I guess you'd call it the sense of lack um, that was still lingering. And um, yeah, so started hosting my own meditations. Um, again, the ones I hosted at first, no one came. <laughs> I felt like maybe I should wait a bit longer to do this, so I did. Um, host them again online people coming regularly one guy invites a friend um, this woman ends up becoming my mentor she's uh, what I would consider a creative Einstein she's um, fundamentally a brand and product strategist um, taught me uh, everything I needed to know literally to a T and, and beyond um, I then created, I started doing my own branding projects. Um, I started to create my own system. Uh, and I realized I'm really good at creating systems. I'm really good at creating frameworks. I'm really good at building philosophies and helping people turn that into a framework that they can bring to other people to take them through what they are best at, what they can do. And ultimately to make their process completely fluid and spontaneous. Um, so I started to do that as a main thing. That was my main offering. And that's what I'm doing now alongside the process of unstripping everything back, taking us back to square one and rebuilding that offering based on fulfillment. So based on based on not using what we do as the source of what makes us happy. Because if we do so, every offering, whether it's selling pencils or pens, is a if we is a service that requires two things, either the needs, the lack, the needs or lack or the suffering of others. So if we depend on the thing we do for happiness, in other words, we depend on our purpose for happiness, we have to then depend on the needs and suffering of others in order to fulfill ourselves. And that for me was a fucking scary wake up call. And so this is what I'm promoting now through the Thought Dojo, is I'm taking people through that process to recognize the nature of their mind. And that opens up the entirety of someone's mind to the potential that they then have to execute what could then become, what I like to think of it as, is the expression of their happiness. So it's the same purpose. It's not going to change, really. But the 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 latent potential and the areas it can expand to and the the profoundity that it can become will just dramatically increase, which obviously then allows us to, it's inherently more valuable. We have a lot more fun doing it and we have um, a lot more time to spend doing other things in life that we enjoy. Well, there is a huge amount in here, isn't there, Sasha? My God. And, you know, I really love your I love your honesty, your openness um, through all that, because, you know, clearly someone listening to this and any, anyone that's listening or watching it will probably be thinking, my gosh, you've had some you've had a lot of pain, you know, in, in different events through your life. You know, the loss of your mom and and even being, you know, as you were talking as a six year old child, being sort of quite a deep thinker. You know, and I think I said to you when we met, I, you know, I can see that you're, you're a really deep thinker, you know, and, and that's coming through <laughs> not only in, I suppose, the, the journey of self-exploration that you've been on, but also how you're helping other people, you know, sort of 
figure it out and work out well, what is this all about you know um and i think uh, I, I think the fact that you speak so openly even through that those painful experiences that you've had to come to where you are today has been a process hasn't it it's been a process for you and, and a journey that you've been on and you know, when you look at yourself where you are now, Sasha, obviously you're still very young, you know, and you've <laughs> made me feel very old. Um, but, you know, do you feel more at peace with yourself having had this, you know, this this experience that you've had, well, not just one, but multiple experiences to lead you to where you are today? Do you feel kind of quite at peace and more more harmony or do you still think there's more work for you to do um, on just kind of that discovery piece? I would say that the the we if we call it the journey the journey of life I would say that it constantly evolves and for as long as we're having an experience there is evolution to be had mm. um would I say that um I am more peaceful absolutely there is without a doubt more peace for the raw nature of I don't scream with my dad uh whenever we see each other um like I used to <laughs> but I would say that on the level of the mind, there will always be an adjustment period, right? So we could be perfectly happy and content, but we might not always say the right things. We might not always know what the best thing is to do. We might not always be tuned in to what I call spontaneous creativity, which is the thing that allows us to always say the right things or do the right things. That process is is a is a wobbly one. And that's one thing that we'll do for the rest of our lives. Mm. Uh, Maharaji would be known to scream at people um, for cooking too many potatoes, you know, like there's no perfect human being. Um, and this is the idea that a lot of people have with spiritual teachers that they are perfect beings, but absolutely they're not. <laughs> no, I, I, so, I, I, and I would say the same. Agree. So yeah, uh, there is a, um, I would call it a mastering a mastering mm. that never ends. There is no master. There is just that mastering with a G recurring. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's what that's what I would say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I always think I always say we're all perfectly imperfect, right? And we're we're exactly. all <laughs> yeah. we're all work yeah. in progress till the day we die, you know. And I think this constant evolution, constant growth, because when you get to whatever the next milestone is, you know, you move the goalposts again because you want to grow again. So there's always something new and an in, influence. Mm -hmm. And I I think sometimes that you know we we constrain ourselves and, and almost think, okay, there, there's a one event, you know, when I become a millionaire, when I get to this defined position that you'll be happy. Uh, and you mm -hmm. talk about happiness a lot. Well, actually, once you get there, you'll want something different. So if all you're focusing on is getting the result, then you're missing the entire experience along the way. You're missing the, the, the sort of the now, if you like, through that process. Um, I don't know what you think yeah. about that. Um, I would totally agree, but I would say that the end of the path of effort, in other words, the the end of having to try to do things in order to be happy, there is an end point to that. Mm. There is a point of no return. There is a point where uh, you are happy unconditionally and there is nothing that can disturb that peace. There's absolutely an end to that. Is there an end to adjusting to that on the level of the body and mind and being able to respond to every situation with the most love and care and compassion? Absolutely, there's adjustment on that. That's mm. the part I'm saying will continue. But on the level of happiness, there is definitely a point of no return. 
Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I love I love the perspective. And and let's talk about, you know, let's talk about helping other people for a second, right? Because obviously you've built a business around helping other people unlock, you know, their thoughts and the power of their mind and, and how that can translate into what they want to achieve and their purpose, etc. But, you know, it, you know, a lot of people listening to this, Sasha, you know, they may be in uh, having some struggles themselves from a mental health point of view. They they may have lost a loved one, you know, which which obviously you did with the loss of your, you, you know, your mother. Um, and th- there may be some anguish there for a lot of people. And, and there's a spectrum yeah. to that, isn't there? You know, yeah. uh, you know, because at the extreme, there's you know, suicidal thoughts and, and not wanting to yeah. be here anymore. And then, you know, there's there's sort of just having an off day at the at the yeah. opposite end of the spectrum and yeah. everything in between. But for, for someone that might be listening thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, they're in a bit of a dark place. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. Everyone's solution will be different. But what, what sort of advice would you give to someone that maybe is, uh, you know, going through some traumatic times at the moment and just tr- not sure mm-hmm. where to turn, what to do? Um. I would say the first thing is to see that absolutely normality of that. There is no out of the ordinary. That is not an out of the ordinary experience. Mm. There are, I would suggest, and I've never done a survey, but (laughs) I would suggest everybody in their lives at some stage has had a suicidal thought. Um, And I would also suggest that everybody has gone through a situation that has made that happen. Um, that's not absolute, of course, but the majority, the vast majority. The second thing <clears throat> is that we naturally assume that because, and this happened to me, I was very suicidal, the cause of that experience. There's this sense that um, Because X, Y, and Z has happened, this must be the end. This must be the end. And what happens is, what we're really, what we're, what's really going on is we're people having an experience that we have never been taught how to deal with. We have never been taught how to process emotions, how to neutralize emotions, how to mm-hmm. allow our emotions to be with us and pass through us without allowing them to cause conflict within our lives. When we don't learn how to do that, the emotion builds up. Imagine if you were to have, uh, imagine your emotions, right? Your entire experience has to be digested. Just like food you eat has to be digested. Energy just doesn't disappear. We're, 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 we're uh, bringing energy in through every sound we hear, every food we taste, every sight we see. Where does it all go? It's going somewhere, right? When you save memory onto a memory stick, it doesn't disappear. Even though the memory oh. stick doesn't weigh more, it's there, right? Yeah. Where is that memory going? Where is that being stored? The mind is not being, if you open the mind up with a scalpel, you won't be finding little filing cabinets with the memory. So where is it, right? It's being stored in what we consider counter space, right? And it's our energy, our, the, 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 the body that we go to when we go to sleep and dream, right? Um, if we never learn how to digest this, Imagine what would happen to the stomach if we hadn't digested food for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It would it would explode. And we could call suicidal thoughts or suicide, we could call that the explosion of the energy that was never released. Mm-hmm. Because the only way the mind then, if the mind doesn't understand how to, we bearing in mind, 
it does understand how we just learn we it's kind of like we un, we learn not to know how but as a child as a child we know absolutely how to know we we absolutely know how to do it that's why children cry so much over the smallest things the energy comes in they just let it out yeah so the only thing necessary from what i've experienced is to learn and understand think okay my suicidal thoughts are normal they're a consequence of not understanding how to disperse the trapped energy that's inside me it has to go somewhere so what is our natural thought to disperse when there's too much energy it's to kill or to stop or to end to put end to the over accumulation um which results in suicide so if that's the case the only thing necessary would be to first process the emotion now for some people this is too much for some people who've had a very traumatic experience what i may share or what is usually shared to digest emotions is going to be too sensitive like touching a wound that's just too much to you can't just pour alcohol into some wounds you, you know what i mean it stings that's where therapy comes in therapy will allow us to gradually and uh, safely and um uh, kind of gently deal and handle and process the deeper harder to process emotions mm -hmm. but alongside that is when we when we're able to face them it's very simple we allow them to we allow them to flourish we allow them to grow and we see them for what they are because if we look at any emotion clearly as clearly as you were looking at the screen you're looking at right now if we were to do that we would find every new every emotion is absolute neutral neutrality the same anxiety I have to get on the flight is the same excitement that uh, my, I don't have a wife, but my wife has to go on our honeymoon. You see, it's the mm -hmm. same neutral energy mixed with a thought. The thought says, I do not want to go on the plane. The other thought says, I can't wait to go on our honeymoon. The same exact energy mixed with a thought that says, I don't want what's going to happen to happen. I do want what's going to happen to happen. You see? So, mm -hmm. um, from that sense, understanding that is a is a huge is a huge part, um, and then allowing these, allowing the process of healing to occur and wanting that help. Um, that's what I would suggest is probably the best approach. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's really helpful. And, and like you say, you know, reach out as well. Don't 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 be on your own because there's there's lots of opportunities, isn't there, to connect. You know, you're a great example, Sasha, where you're sharing your experience and knowledge and you know, you can help a lot of people and you do help a lot of people with what you do. And you know, I think that's that's fantastic. And Sasha, you know, with the uh, Prince's Trust, let's talk a little bit about that because um that's how we first got connected and met. Um, and, you know, your your story is, um, you know, is is a very raw one in, in, in parts, but is also a journey of healing as, as well um, through the process to yeah. get you to the point where you are today. You know, and like you said very early on, you, you know, you didn't know what an entrepreneur was, but all of a sudden here, here you are as an entrepreneur now. Yeah. But you had some help, didn't you, from the Prince's Trust. So maybe do you want to talk a little bit around how that came about? And, and you know, and again, someone else might be thinking, a young person might be thinking, oh, I really want to start a business, but 
I've got all this stuff that's gone on in the past. I don't really know where to start. Oh, actually, this could be something quite useful for, for people as well. So, yeah, tell, talk about the Prince's Trust and, and how that's helped you, really. Um, so I was looking for anything and anything that could help me with my business, whether I was to provide for funding or whether I was to provide for um, accountability, which is a huge thing. Um, I found them i found a grant through my local county and the person on the phone basically just told me about all the other services um and that's how i found the prince's trust um and the prince's trust they provide you with grants and they take you through training and they take you through um uh, they take you through a course essentially and they provide you with a person who basically can help you with all the logistics of a business plan um and uh, forecast, uh, financial forecasts and things like that. And what it did was it gave me the accountability to actually get all the, what I call the boring stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I can't be, um, yeah, I can't lie about it. I just, I, for me, they, they are the boring stuff. I, I just, I just don't like it. I hate anything that has to do with usually anyway. I love planning, but yeah, I don't like rigid things like that it's just my mind just doesn't work with it I, I i yeah anyway um so they helped with finding that which is very important especially to find funding especially for the projects that i will future want to create um in the mm. mental health industry which is very important to have those business plans um square <laughs> um especially financial um forecasts so and that was essentially it it was profound because the actually the the main thing, and I mentioned this before, is inspiration. Having other entrepreneurs come in and speak to us and share with us, um, for me, was inspiring. Um, for me, the fuel of education is inspiration and enthusiasm. Without that, it's very difficult to mm. create, right? Um so yeah, that that was beautiful. And to put me in a position, you know, where you you're sitting around with other entrepreneurs and um you're sharing what you do and you're pitching your idea and you're getting feedback um that is invaluable it's doing things like that it's so invaluable mm. yeah you're right and you know the the enterprise network which is where this kind of sits you know the program you went through which was founded by jamie wally you know again Jamie's actually been a guest on Brave Bold Brilliant as well. Yeah. And, you know, telling his his journey around growing up in the East End of London and some of the violence that, you know, that the kind of he was exposed to. Yeah. And then ultimately how he built his business, which was a, a bailiff business, you know, almost a, a sector with potentially one of the worst reputations you can possibly have and how he reframed the sector and, mm. you know, sold his business and was very successful. And now part of ja mm. Jamie's kind of purpose is to give back really hence you know founding the enterprise network to help young people also start businesses as well so you know it comes yeah. from a very uh, a, a very special place I would say the enterprise yeah. network within the Prince's Trust you know and you know Sarah Jones who's the the director in Wales again fantastic individual but you know I think it's great that that support was around and, and you also recognized you there was a need for you to to learn to surround yourself with the right people at the right yeah. time um and you know you've had had lots of people that have influenced and inspired you on your journey 
And you, you've probably also had maybe people in your life, Sajid, that weren't so helpful at certain times um, and maybe weren't positive, you know, influences. And I think it's a real important thing to, to really ask yourself, not you know, as a general point to anyone listening, who are you spending time with? You know, are you are you actually surrounding yourself with the right people or are you you know spending time with people that possibly aren't on your journey? Maybe they don't understand it. Maybe they are actually into certain things which could be quite damaging, you know, for yourself. So have you consciously through your time made made choices around who you spend time with and who you don't spend time with because i think it's an important topic as as a for us as individuals but also as business people yeah i have yeah um and i i normally find that it knife life knife life not naturally i think it's because i was gonna say knife laterally cuts through (laughs) (laughs) uh it, it it cuts people out and i think that it actually requires effort to maintain relationships that you're not mm. supposed to really be in and i wouldn't say that i still have relationships with <clears throat> people who i love dearly mm. um we don't speak though but i love them dearly and you know it was interesting the other day one of them i he was he was he's been one of my best friends since i was you know 12 maybe but um i was driving the other day i went to pick something up um, and he thought I was, so we haven't spoke for years, right? We don't hang out anymore, but just as a funny example, um, he thought I was in the Turkey earthquake because he heard my step, he must've heard my step, um, uh, my friend, my sister's, uh, brother, it was a stepbrother. His, my stepbrother's girlfriend was in, was family was in it. But anyway, he must've got confused, thought it was me. Hadn't, hadn't heard from him in years. I went to pick something up one day. All of a sudden he appears and he's indicating, right. I pull up next to him in the dry, in the, in the lights. Um, and I blink him to come through and he's looking at me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what? And he rolls his windows. I was like, I thought you were dead. You know, I was like, no, I'm safe. He goes, it was just funny. And then he just drives off and he knows I'm safe. And he was like, we were all worried about you. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm alive. I'm, everything's fine. And he drove off. I haven't spoken to him since. I haven't seen him since. But it was just that fe- that it was just that sense that he was worried. And I, I could see in his face that he was absolutely shocked. Mm. Um, and, then he, and then he was relieved. And then, yeah, we go on with our lives. And I feel like life naturally moves people in the places they seem to be. I don't like to have a conscious... Um, I obviously I know I know that people know that some people aren't right for you right now in your life. Um, but I tend to allow life to let that gradually move. And I take the opportunities that arise to to, to cooperate with that. Mm, yeah, a really good friend of mine, actually, she's very wise, one of my best friends, Karen Lloyd, I will give her a shout out and her partner, Scott. She has she often says, you know, listen, people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And actually, all of those are are, are okay, you know. And sometimes yeah. it's it's a a particular moment where you have a very deep relationship with someone, but it's quite fleeting. Uh, other times, yeah. it can be, you know, as I say, a lifetime friendship or relationship. And and actually, all of them bring something to you, don't they? Um, at different times. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to think of it as um, like you were saying as that or because someone's there for a reason or for a moment mm. that they're insignificant i've met some very significant people who i will love for the rest of my life who weren't there as long as some other people um who i also love dearly but 
didn't have as deep a connection with right mm-hmm. um, it's it's interesting how it works yeah yeah absolutely and with the thought dojo Saja, can you just explain a little bit about the business and, and who you typically work with the type of value that you bring to to you know to the people that you that you work with in the businesses you work with just to just talk us through that a little bit um, so I primarily like to work with other strategists, coaches, um, and people who are in the creative industry or people who have, um, I would say that primarily, but to further elaborate service-based offerings, people who have an art, they feel like they have to share or a, or a message or anything like that, that, um, they would like to bring to people either on a, on a large scale basis or an individual scale basis. Um, and the benefits to put them briefly, I would say uh, time, money, and happiness are the three core uh, pillars of what I what I call the Art for Leadership program. Mm. Okay, so someone coming on board with you, Sajuri, you're working with them. Would they would would that typically be you know for a period of time during the program that you're that that you know they're they're on with you, or would it be yeah. a longer term kind of support that you that you offer them? So the Art for Leadership program is a four month course uh, or program whatever you want to think of it as um could be more could be less but it generally points towards a brief and the brief is usually whatever the goal is that we find together when we meet um, yeah and the goal will usually tend to be um to to create something that either whether it's confidence it usually ultimately results in confidence right we build a framework to allow the uh, the process to unfold for them and to to allow them to i like to think of it as a samurai a samurai carries a sword goes into any situation with absolute certainty he can handle it um to the degree he doesn't even move his sword he's, the sword is the last option right it's the final <laughs> cigar if things can't get out of hand then he'll raise but he'll raise his sword by a little glimpse right <laughs> it's like that he, he it's that sense of just complete creative freedom. Ultimately, that's the goal. Um, it'll tangilize into a form of creating some type of structure that can provide a, a perfect offering that maximizes all the potential and the unique qualities of the individual's mind, which ultimately mm-hmm. is what it's like crafting the sword of the perfect weight, the perfect caliber. Everything is like for you, right? It's tailored and you enjoy it and you love it and you can charge so much more for it. Because mm. no one else has got that. No one else does that, right? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And you know, you make a very important point. I think if you can merge your passion with your profession, it's um, it's a joyful place to be, actually. Because when you love what you do, you just bring your best self to it, and everyone everyone wins, 100%. don't they? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah, percent. Everyone wins, and 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 Sasha, you know, in terms of kind of starting the business, and I know you said earlier that you there's some of the stuff that stuff you have to do, but you don't necessarily enjoy doing. Yeah. <laughs> what was what's been the most challenging thing for you? Do you think in you know in in sort of getting the business established in the first place, and and then starting to to grow it as you are now? Um, it was the. <sighs> hundred thousand pounds worth of value that you have to learn uh to to do it <laughs> marketing copywriting graphic design um yeah. web design if it's if you're a young entrepreneur like me that is i guess you could think of it as um you could see it as harder because we 
we don't have the funds to to just spawn that out of nowhere. Mm. Um, you could also see it as an opportunity to be, you know, I'm already involved in, you know, growing up with um, phones in my pocket and Facebook and just learning how to interact in the social world. That's a huge benefit. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that for me and um, yeah, I'd say it was that primarily. It was actually like learning how to express what I do. <laughs> yes. That for me was the hardest thing um in 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 my business journey i would say yeah and obviously you've had some support with that haven't you with your mentor and you know and and yeah. her being the, you know the creative creative spirit that you've described and yeah you're right at the end of the day the confused mind does not buy so being mm-hmm. able to really clearly articulate your offering and to make it exactly. compelling, exciting and, you know, visually, uh, you know, uh, appealing, it, all of that yeah. brand is is so important, isn't it? Because it's the uh, it's the representation of what sits behind. You have all the detail there, but you really need to simply articulate it for the, for the customer, don't you, for the client? Exactly, yeah. Mm, yeah, fantastic. And and Sajid, you know, you, you look back over your, um, well, actually, before I ask my last few questions, where can people find you? What's the best best place to kind of track you down if people either want to, you know, take on board your services or just learn more about your journey, connect with you on a real, you know, kind of human basis? Where can people get hold of you? Uh, so there's my website, which is currently getting developed. It might it might even be done by the time this podcast. It, actually, no, it will be done by then. So my mm-hmm. website, which will be, um, which is called the Thought Dojo. Um, my Instagram, which is Saja Fandel, um, as it's spelled, uh, that with an at at the start, as Instagram makes you do. Um, and then there's my Medium, which is where I have free article content based on some of the ideas that i spoke of today um, medium's a paid service um so to read some of them you have to pay for me you have to use medium but the majority are on them are on there for free you can read them um yeah and i'd say that great fantastic so lots of ways that people can track you down either through social media the website which will be live and we will we'll put all the links and everything in the show notes so if you're actually uh, listening to this or, or, or watching it on YouTube or listening, you'll be able to uh, to kind of, you know, make their way to you quite quite easily. Um, and I think it's really important that, you know, we all we are we are honest around our, our background and our journey and the highs and the lows. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's when we can be our most real self. And yeah. and that's certainly, you know, I think a value that just oozes out of you, <laughs> Sajid, in yeah. terms of, you know, your openness. So it's really important. And, you know, when you look back over the, over your kind of life and career, business journey, experiences mm-hmm. that you've had all these years, can you think of, um, you know, the best piece of advice you've been given during that time? It's still similar to last time, but it, there's, there's another thing that I think was more fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um but it's the most it's the it is the most obvious advice frustratingly but it is the most fundamental i think um it was to be myself to just be me to use my voice to be everything that i uh it's not even everything i think i am to be everything that i am effortlessly that's how i see it now i when i hear be yourself what does it even mean but it was in this moment 
and my mentor when she said this that it was just don't be scared it the, the essence of it was just don't be scared to be yourself don't be scared to be flamboyant don't be scared to be overly passionate don't be scared to be doing the 10 million mannerisms with your hands don't be scared to talk about the details that you've been through don't be scared to i was i was afraid to mention i did lsd uh, at one point because um i don't know people think of it as a drug people think but just stuff like that just being completely honest with every fabric um that for me is being myself and that for me was the best advice yeah and and you do you know you you bring all of your authenticity to everything you do and i think that what that's what makes you really special actually and and you know if more people could be follow your lead and 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 be themselves um it's quite liberating as well and at the end of the day i always think well people are going to judge you anyway so why not be judged for something <laughs> that's important they are aren't they we're always exactly. making a judgment every time we yeah, meet someone yeah, yeah. and you know, and sometimes we, you know, we're judged by what people say or how they say it or what they wear or la la la, the background and all this stuff is going on all the time. So actually, I think, well, they're going to judge you anyway. And some people all love you and some people won't. And that's all right. You know, and when you kind of get yeah. to that place, you, you know, I think you you do have that confidence to to go, you know, there's a tribe out there that there, there is there are people that are going to resonate with me. So let me do let me put myself out in a real authentic way. And then, you know, hopefully I'll attract those right people to me. And I don't, I'm not here to be liked by everyone necessarily, but I do want to be real about what's important and and put, you know, put your authentic self out, which I think is really great advice, definitely. Um, and the converse of that, Sasha, have you had any bad advice <laughs> that you've taken and regretted or maybe you ignored it because you thought, oh my God, that's terrible. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, I would say that, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it was advice that was directly given to me. Um, but I would say it, there's a lot of... I would, I, I, I'm careful with how I say this. I wouldn't say it's bad advice. I would say it's old advice. It's advice that's inefficient. And that to me is um, the kinds of ideas that make our process fast food that make our work fast food that turn our work into a sales pitch in order to persuade i don't see it as persuasion i don't i don't in the in the conventional sense anyway um and anything that turns it into uh for instance um you can have course just as an example course building sites and course building um workshops and things like that which provoke you to 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 make your course uh it takes the juice and the magic away because it's trying to enforce people to buy it's like strategies how can i make someone buy my service but if your service is presented as it is people will buy it it's it's you see what i mean Mm. The first challenge, right, if people walk into a shop and see a diamond on the table, everyone knows what diamonds are. You don't need to put a price tag on a diamond to know it's expensive, right? However, our business may or may not be uh, a, a service that people don't know about, people don't understand. How, how does this work? What does it do? Um, you So then you kind of have to, and I understand to some degree, you have to describe what a diamond is in that sense. Now, to me... 
I go on the approach of describing what the diamond is rather than trying to make people buy the diamond and putting emphasis on buying the diamond that they don't quite yet understand and it is not yet clear. Does that make sense? Which takes yeah. away the fabric and the love and the joy of what it is. And it makes it this strategy. It's just a strategy. This is just a thing for you to buy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, you know, I, I, I totally get you. There's, there's a great book, and I'm sure you've probably read it, called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Yeah. And you, you talked about Steve Jobs being a big inspiration for you. And this was around having, you know, I mean, Apple arguably is one of the most purpose-led organizations you know with such a compelling proposition and values that that people gravitate naturally to whatever the offering is um so if you can have a very clear why and purpose that is pure in in its sense then actually people will be attracted to it rather than you having to constrain or manipulate too much um in order to to get people to buy um so i think that that's you along those lines aren't you with what you're saying um i'm going to be slightly more controversial and say that even that idea even the fact that that idea exists which i totally agree with as a concept mm -hmm. but the fact that it exists already suggests that people are not doing things with good reason, that people are not doing things that they are at their utmost enthusiastic about in order for them to have to create a reason for why they are doing it. So yeah. I love the concept. I believe it to be true. However, there is a big problem with that by nature of it existing. So what you find is that just like people like McDonald's will start doing vegan food, people will appropriate concepts that are philosophical and loving mm. and compassionate in order to then do the exact same thing that they were already doing. Mm. So I love the idea and I think it's insanely valuable. However, in the way that I work, why is the inevitable process? There's no, like for instance, I was saying this on one of my last clients, we were speaking about the same idea. The why was inherent in everything that we were doing. There's no, you don't even have to glimpse at it. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah. does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's almost there in the DNA, isn't it? And it doesn't It's in the DNA. Yeah. 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 No, I get you. I do get you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's been such a fascinating discussion. We could chat for hours. I think, Sasha, we, you know, we've, I don't think we've quite fixed the world yet, by the way. I think there's more to, <laughs> more to Not be quite. done. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you, honestly, you're doing, you're doing amazing amazing things I'm really um it's a real pleasure to get to know you and I, before we finish I have got one last question for you though Saja because I always end my podcast in this way uh, mm -hmm. so the podcast called Brave Bold Brilliant what does that mean to you it means to have the courage to love more than you have the fear to do it amazing I love that Thank you very much. What a poignant way to end the podcast, Saja. Honestly, you've been a delight. Thank you so much. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how your journey continues to evolve. And um, yeah, let's make sure we keep in touch. We'll, I'll, I'll definitely be watching with great interest. <laughs> I'm very grateful. I really appreciate um, coming on here and you having me and having this conversation. I'm very grateful. So thank you, Jeanette. Oh, you're welcome. You are very welcome. 
I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.